Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in this time. We thank you. We thank you for each opportunity we have to encounter your word, to know your truth, the, to experience all the more um, who you are, and thank you for the faith you give us that draws us into you. We thank you for the spirit which fills us, that helps us to understand. We give all this to you, Lord. We give it all to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'd like to start our morning by reading you something that I came across. It's a, it's a reading of uh, some woman, a woman's words uh, that she wrote down. Very powerful. I think it helps set us up for what Paul wants to uh, speak to us this morning through the first part of Colossians chapter 3. And so let's hear the, these uh, powerful words from this woman. She says, I'm a mother of three, ages 14, 12, and three, and have recently completed my college degree. The last class I had to take was sociology. The teacher was absolutely inspiring with the qualities that I wish every human being had been graced with. Her last project of the term was called SMILE. The class was asked to go out and smile at three people and document their reactions. I'm a very friendly person and always smile at everyone and say hello anyway. So I thought this would be a piece of cake. Soon after we were assigned the project, my husband, youngest son, and I went out to McDonald's one crisp March morning. It was just our way of sharing some special playtime with our son. We were standing in line waiting to be served when all of a sudden everyone around us began to back away. And then even my husband did. I did not move an inch. An overwhelming feeling of panic welled up inside of me as I turned to see why they had moved. As I turned around, I smelled a horrible, dirty body smell. And there, standing behind me, were two poor homeless men. As I looked down at the short gentleman close to me, he was smiling. His beautiful sky-blue eyes were full of God's light as he searched for acceptance. He said, good day, as he counted the few coins he had been clutching. The second man fumbled with his hands as he stood behind his friend. I realized the second man was mentally challenged, and the blue-eyed gentleman was his salvation. I held my tears as I stood there with them. The young lady at the counter asked him what they wanted. He said, coffee is all, miss, because that's all they could afford. If they wanted to sit in the restaurant and warm up, they had to buy something. He just wanted to be warm. Then I really felt it. The compulsion was so great, I almost reached out and embraced the little man with the blue eyes. That is when I noticed all eyes in the restaurant were set on me, judging my every action. I smiled and asked the young lady behind the counter to give me two more breakfast meals on a separate tray. I then walked around the corner to the table that the men had chosen as a resting spot. I put the tray on the table and laid my hand on the blue-eyed gentleman's cold hand. He looked up to me with tears in his eyes and said, thank you. I leaned over, began to pat his hand and said, I did not do this for you. God is here working through me to give you hope. I started to cry as I walked away to join my husband and son. When I sat down, my husband smiled at me and said, that is why God gave you to me, honey, to give me hope. We held hands for a moment, and at that time, we knew that only because of the grace of God given to us were we able to give to others. See, in Colossians chapter 3, as we enter this chapter, 
we see that Paul challenges us to set our minds on the things above and to put off our old sinful practices and to seek to teach others the way of Christ, a new way to live, a new way to love. And so let us read again these words that uh, in Colossians chapter 3, these words that Aaron read us. And when you see the yellow part, please read that with me. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. So up to this point, we've gone through half of Colossians. We've gone through the first two chapters of Colossians, and we, we're looking at the privileges we have in Christ. Paul is tell, telling us, because we are in Christ, we have these privileges. We have faith and hope and love because we are in Christ. We are strengthened in God's glorious power. Remember, God's whole, we are God's holy people because Christ imparts his righteousness to us. So we are strengthened in his power and made righteous by Christ. We have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and we share in the inheritance of God's holy people. We're no longer in the dominion of darkness in our sin. We are in the dominion of God. We have been brought into the kingdom of his son. We have forgiveness of sins and redemption. We have been reconciled with God. We have been freed from the, the ceremonial law. We understand that it is not the law that saves us, but it is Christ that saves us. And we are able to understand the mysteries of God. A lot's been talked about in those first two chapters. And we see all of these privileges we have because we are in Christ. We are followers of Christ. So Paul begins here in, uh, in Colossians 3 by exhorting them, by exhorting us to set our hearts on heaven and to take our eyes from looking at the world as if the world gives us wisdom in how to live. He says, you, if then you have been risen with Christ. See, it is our privilege that we have been risen with Christ. We have the benefit of the power of the resurrection of Christ. By virtue of our union and our communion with Christ, we are justified and sanctified. Justified, meaning that Christ has made us right with God, sanctified, and that Christ has fulfilled the demands of the law on our behalf so that we are no longer separated from God. We are therefore justified and sanctified in Christ. There's a story of a, a small boy. He, was, he came from a, a non-Christian family, and he was brought to church one day, and so they brought him to the, the Sunday school class, and and the teacher asked him to tell a little bit about himself. And so he started to talk about himself. And, and then he also talked about his mother. He talked about his mother was not only unsaved, but she had this morbid fear of death. 
Well, the boy started to go to Sunday school every week, and the more he went, the, the more he liked it, and the more he had enjoyment, and the more he learned, the more he begged his mother to come to church with him. But his mother said, I'm sorry. I'm just afraid that the pastor is going to talk about death, and, and I just can't deal with that topic. I'm sorry, I cannot go to church. On Easter Sunday morning, the, the t- teacher noticed that the boy was very attentive as she was talking about the story of the risen Christ. And she was, he was antsy in his seat. He couldn't wait to get home. And so as soon as Sunday school was over, he rushed home. And he was so excited. And he said to his mom, Oh, mother, you don't need to be afraid of dying anymore. For Jesus went through the grave and left a light on behind him. Gradually, the boy talked to his mom more and more. And her heart began to soften. And one night after she put him to bed, she heard her, her boy saying his prayers, and, and one of the things that he did is he prayed that, that his mom would become a Christian. And then he added these words, and do it right quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, soon after that, a friend of hers invited her to church, and she actually went to church this time. And the message of the pastor convicted her heart and softened her heart, and she gave her life to Christ. And her son's prayer was answered. See, we don't need to be afraid of death or dying or people's judgment or or being a Christian in a non-Christian world. We don't need to be afraid of anything because we have been raised with Christ and his light shines on us and points us to the power of the resurrection of Christ that is working on our behalf. Think about that. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that works in and through you and me. Paul goes on to talk about setting our hearts and minds on the things above and not on earthly things. We know that our hearts and our minds control our feelings and our thinking and ultimately determine how we live our life. And so Jesus gives us some very pointed words in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Again, read the yellow part with me. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, our heart determines what our greatest desire is. Our heart leads us to act based on what is important to us. We may say we want to go on a diet and lose weight, but then we see that dessert, right? And we want that dessert more than we want to lose the weight. And so we eat the desserts because that's what we desire more. I only live so many years. Who really needs a diet, right? And we eat the dessert because that's what we desire. With this in mind, we understand Paul's words as he tells us to set our hearts and minds on things above, not on earthly things. This is a continuation of what Jesus said here in Matthew 6. Paul wants us to understand that the things of earth are temporary and will disappoint us. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, they're not only unhealthy for our lives, but they will not satisfy us, for they are temporary and will fade away. We are to set ourselves on that which has eternal impact. Why? Because we are now in Christ and we should value 
the things of Christ. So, we are to set our mind on the things that are above, right? Colossians 3.2 tells us we are to do this in setting our affections on the things that please God. We are to love those things that please God. Upon the wings of affection, the heart soars upward and is carried forth towards spiritual and divine objects. We must acquaint ourselves with them, esteem them, and come to love them above all things and lay out ourselves in preparation for the enjoyment of them. We must put aside the things of the world and seek the things of God. We do this because we have died to our sinful self and live in the dominion of God. Let me say that again. We have died to our sinful self and we are to live in the dominion of God. We're to be dead, to be buried with Christ as Christ was buried in his death and planted into the likeness of his death. Every Christian then is to be crucified to the world and the world is to be crucified to every Christian. And so if we are dead to the earth and have renounced its happiness over us, it is absurd for us to seek its affections as if they would satisfy our lives. We should be unmoved and unaffected to the things of the world. But of course, we know that's not true, right? We do have a love for the things of the world. There's many things in the world we love, right? Even though our true life lies in Christ, because our life is hidden in Christ, we still have things of this world that we come to love. For example, does God approve of every book you read, every movie you see, every relationship you have, every conversation that you have? Sometimes you may find yourself getting drunk or being harsh with another or putting someone down or being unkind to someone. We pick up the ways of the world and we run with them and we sometimes think they're okay. We can love the world. Sometimes we pray participate in behavior that does not honor God. When we are dead to the world and set our hearts and minds on the things of God, then we will not choose to behave in any way that is contrary to what God would have for us. We do not desire to participate in that behavior that dishonors God. And if we do, then our heart is grieved because we have done that, and we seek God for forgiveness and for cleansing and for renewal. This is the challenge that Paul gives to us and the direction we need to seek to live if we are to be true Christ followers. So we see that we shouldn't desire the earthly things, but how are we to overcome these desires? I mean, we're told to put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, but how are we to put them to death, right? How do you put these desires to death? Well, we're put them out of our mind. We are to rid our minds and our bodies of them. We're told by Paul in Philippians 4, 8-9, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 
think about such things. What a great filter, right? If you have this memorized, this, these two verses memorized, this could be your filter. Something comes to you and you say, is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it something that honors God? This can be your filter. And if not, you rid yourself of it and you say, no, I'm not going to set my heart, my mind on it. I'm not going to set my heart on it because I don't want that to be a governing force in my life. You'll come to love the things of God. So we have to find new things to dwell on, new things to desire, to replace the things of the world that we once loved. The story of a little girl who came home all excited to tell her mother about her day, and as she started to tell her mother her, her day about her story about her day, her mother realized it was going to take a while. And so she said, I'm sorry, honey, I, I need to do dinner. Can we talk about this later? And so her mother went over, and she, she made dinner, and they had dinner, and then she she did the dishes, and then the phone rang, and her mother was on the phone for a while. And when her mother hung up, the little girl looked at her and said, Mommy, do you really love me if you don't have time for me? God could ask us the same thing, right? Christ follower, do you really love me if you don't have time for me? Do you really love me if you don't do the things I love? We show that we love whatever by the, making time for it, right? To put to death our earthly desires make we, means we don't put, make time for the things of this earth, but rather we make time for the things of heaven, the things of God, the things that have eternal value. So to do this, we have to understand what has eternal value. We have to understand what are the treasures of heaven that we should set our minds and hearts on. And the only way we could do this is to see what Christ valued. What did Christ value? Well, he valued relationship with his Father. He often spent alone time in relationship with his Father. We, too, need to value that relationship with God. We need to put a good amount of our time in that relationship, right? The more time you spend in a relationship, the deeper you have in that relationship. So you might say, well, how much time in a week do I spend with God? How much do I really value that relationship, right? He valued relationship with people, right? Jesus didn't spend time all the time in the synagogue. He went out. He interacted with people. He healed people. He talked to people. He, he taught people. He, he told people about salvation. He cared about their eternal well-being. We, too, need to value our relationships. We need to show people we value them, especially those who are non-Christians, by telling them of salvation so that they will not be lost but that they will know Jesus. Do we value the relationships with the people God puts in our life? Jesus valued prayer. Jesus was, was consistently going to the Lord in prayer. Do we value prayer? Do we spend a good amount of time? Paul tells us in Thessalonians, pray always, <laughs> pray unceasingly. One way to do this, uh, I've tried to, to learn how to do this by just making conversation with God throughout the day, right? As if God was just walking with me and I was just talking with him throughout the day. Prayer doesn't have to be like concentrated where you're, I mean, it can be where you close your eyes and you kneel or whatever, but, but prayer is also just talking with God. Do you talk to God about your problems? Do you talk to God about things you're thinking about? Do you talk to God about decisions you have to make? Do you just talk to God throughout the day. That's how you pray and cease. 
And don't just pray you and God, pray with other people. We have Tuesday night prayer. We have once a month, uh, once a month Sunday, Saturday morning prayer. We have prayer after church. We have lots of opportunities to pray. You can just grab someone and say, hey, let's pray. We pray before the service, right? At 10 o'clock, we pray. We pray throughout the service. We pray because we know prayer is important. Make prayer a value in your life. Christ valued a lot of things. So I encourage you to go into the Gospels and, and look at what did, what did Christ value? That will help you to know what you should value. That will help you, us to know what are those eternal things that we should set our hearts and minds on. Do you value the things that God values? See, God tells us in Psalm 37, 4, read this with me. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't say whatever you desire, God gives you. It says there's a first part to it, isn't there? Take delight in, when you delight in what God delights in, then God will give you the desires of your heart because what you desire is what God desires and God wants to give you that. Delight yourself in the Lord and then he will give you the desires of your heart. Set your mind on the things of heaven and he will enact it in and through your life. You may have heard of R.C. Sproul. He passed away December of 2017, but he was a great pastor and theologian. Um, he tells of a story of a college student that he had one time. This college student had cerebral palsy, and uh, because of the cerebral palsy, his, uh, he had trouble controlling his arms and his legs, and his speech was slurred, and it was slow, but his mind was sharp. And his personality was wonderful. And one day this, this young man came to him and, and asked him if he would pray for him for a problem he was having. Right then and there, R.C. Sproul started to pray for him. And he started out with these words, Oh God, please help this man as he wrestles with his problem. And then he continued to go on to pray for a couple of minutes. And when he opened his eyes, he saw that this young man was silently weeping surprised Sproul a little bit. And he said, why? Why are you weeping? And the, the young man said, because no one's called me a man before. And you called me a man. Wow. He gave him worth by just calling him a man. People looked at this young man and didn't see a man. They saw someone that was deformed and, and wasn't acting right. See, we have to understand that we are significant not because we are talented or good-looking or successful. We are significant because we are creations of Christ. We are Christ followers. It is in Christ that we have significance. Is it because God has created us that we have significance? Is it because God has redeemed us through Christ that we have significance? And God says, I have made you significant. I've created you for a purpose. Don't let Satan get you lost in the world and set your mind on the earthly things where you're going to get lost and you're not going to accomplish, for the, not accomplish what I've created you to accomplish. Set your hearts and your minds on the things of heaven so that you will truly accomplish great things for me and for my kingdom, God says. 
So I pray that we could live in this truth, that we could call ourselves men and women of God and take it seriously and have it mean something for us. I am a man of Christ. I am a Christ follower. That should mean something to us. And live in the ways of the Lord, not in the ways of the world. Let us pray.